Welcome to the One Signal Podcast, where we aim to educate listeners on product industry and best practices to build a great customer messaging practice. This is your host, Josh Wetzel. We've got a great guest today for you, One Signal VP of Product, Zach Henlin. Zach has spent the last two years at One Signal, previously spent four plus years at Facebook and LinkedIn, working on their respective newsfeed products and partnering closely with the messaging teams to drive user engagement or retention. I'm excited to talk with Zach about how the smartest minds craft their messaging, the frequency to maximize engagement, and the future product roadmap for the world's most popular customer engagement messaging solution, OneSignal. Welcome to the podcast, Zach. Thanks. Super excited to be here and really excited to share some of what we see from all our OneSignal users. Yep. Well, we appreciate you joining us today. Obviously, we're both biased uh, <laughs> at the world's most popular customer engagement messaging solution, although the data does support that we're the most chosen. So I'd love to get into you personally first before we get into kind of the thing. So you've been a founder, uh, then had successive stints at Facebook for a couple of years, and then a few years building LinkedIn's newsfeed. Uh, why don't we start with, you know, how'd you end up at Facebook? Sure. I was actually working on a startup when I was at MIT, and it was focused on using data and machine learning to connect people to the best customer support representative to help them. Because we realized that there's tons of customer support interactions every year. And whenever you've tried com to call up Comcast or deal with your bills or something like that, and you get transferred from person to person, it's actually really frustrating and leads to a lot of customer churn. And so what we were trying to do was match people's questions to not sort of a pre-canned answer, but actually the best person to help them. Which customer support rep out of everybody in an organization has actually answered this question well before? And in a measurable way, where they actually would finish that call in a short period of time and have customers that were more loyal rather than less after having that interaction. So really was interested in how one could use data to build much more engaging customer experiences. And, you know, we worked on that idea. You know, I wanted to get back out to California. I like the sunshine more than the snow. So decided to sort of stop focusing just on that problem and jumped in at Newsfeed and worked on speech recognition at Facebook because I thought those would be really great scaled experiences. One of the challenges when you're a startup is you don't have a ton of data to work with. And so you might have a great idea or a great model, but it's hard to necessarily be able to make that work really well. And I thought Facebook would be an amazing training ground for really honing how to use data to build personalized experiences at scale. That's awesome. And we've talked a lot about this. It's come up in various contexts. And and so when you got to Facebook, like how did they think about engagement? How is engagement kind of core to what you would do, whether it's small experiments or or large product initiatives? Yeah. So I think you'd really look at what the different steps along a customer journey are. So, you know, a new user comes to Facebook and doesn't have any friends on the platform yet. So the first thing you need to do is connect them to their friends. And there, there's a famous talk by a guy who used to work on growth at Facebook, where basically they figured out you needed to get someone connected to 30 friends in order to have their newsfeed, have enough content, and them to have enough of a sense of community that they were going to come back on a pretty regular basis. And they did some data analysis and basically figured out if you could get someone connected to 30 friends, they were way more likely to add more friends and be daily active users on the platform. But if you only got them connected to one or two, they were going to open up Newsfeed and have a pretty sad experience and, and probably not want to keep coming back. And so one of the things that I think Facebook does really well is looks at different parts of the user journey 
and brings data to bear to make better decisions. The same thing, you know, would apply if it was, you know, trying to get you to comment on your friend's post. So instead of just saying, hey, John posted this content, we'd say, Mary liked John's post, if Mary is a connection of yours. And we would actually rank, let's say 10 of your friends commented on that post. We would actually rank which person we showed you in your newsfeed. We'd rank Mary really highly if you had a lot of interactions with Mary, if you were tagged in other photos with Mary. So there was this notion of your closeness to someone. And if we could use that social context, the closeness you have to someone to encourage you to do something or give you context, you were way more likely to do it than if we just said someone commented on this post. And so I think the learning was, how do you try and use the data that you have, not just to optimize a newsfeed, but also to to make a product feel relevant and, and, and personal? And that was true across, you know, onboarding, that was true even across what notifications we would send to an end user. And we can get in, into that in more detail uh, if you want. Um, but you, know, you could think across you know, ads, across newsfeed ranking, across what notifications someone gets. It was very much trying to figure out what do we know about someone and how can we use that to develop a more relevant experience? Yeah, that's cool. And then what drove you to jump ship and, or not jump ship, but they motivate you to go to LinkedIn? Yeah. So at some point, Facebook had gotten to, you know, a a pretty immense scale, right? Billions of users, you know, across really pretty much every country in the world. And I think they'd fulfilled the mission of kind of connecting a critical mass of the world's population. And what I observed was, you know, the next stage was sort of trying to get incremental time from folks. And, you know, you see kind of Facebook now having a lot of active efforts to get folks to watch videos on Facebook. And you can kind of think about that as like a zero sum game against kind of YouTube and Netflix. And, you know, your time is limited. And obviously, if you're Facebook, you can get more of someone's time and drive more ads revenue from that. But that wasn't a mission I was as excited about is kind of the earlier stage when I had joined. And it was still about how do we get people connected? How do we get messaging to them? How do we build groups and communities? And so I think it got to a stage when I joined, it was around 6,000 folks. And when I left, I think it was three or four times that number of people. And when you're operating at tens of thousands of employees and kind of on a drumbeat to the public markets, I think the focus shifted to be a little bit more focused on just getting a lot of people's time and and monetizing that time, which I was a little less excited about. When I looked at joining LinkedIn, I remember looking through their newsfeed and and my first thought was LinkedIn has a newsfeed just because it it really wasn't a, a great product and it wasn't very relevant. And a lot of the things that I had learned in working at Facebook of pull in social context, right? Of show me stuff, not just that's most shared, the sort of very generic article from, you know, Gary V or, you know, (laughs) Reid Hoffman or Bill Gates, but show me stuff that's more varied, right? Show me stuff that's not what I would read in Business Insider. Show me stuff that's more relevant. was really an area that there was a lot more to be done. An example of some of the low-hanging fruit was, you know, when I joined LinkedIn, we knew we had users in all these different countries. And oftentimes there's a lot of kind of a white collar workers on LinkedIn who go to industry conferences and have friends who may post in other languages. LinkedIn didn't have any ability to translate feed content from a different language. 
And so that was sort of like, we looked at the data, we realized there was this need and that a ton of our members had friends, connections who would post in languages that they didn't speak and understand. And so we said, okay, cool. We can improve engagement. We can improve the experience. We can help people be more connected with their communities if we automatically translate stuff, if we know that someone hasn't listed this as a language they speak on their profile. Another example was we know that, you know, LinkedIn used to be about writing these long notes and posting kind of your thought leadership. And the way that people share has changed. You know, five years ago, certainly 10 years ago, you weren't posting a video to a newsfeed. You weren't necessarily uploading 50 photos or 10 photos. And so LinkedIn sharing options were like posts, one photo, or a link when I got there. And you know, I knew from having shipped uh, multi-photos and, and stuff like that at, at Facebook that that was a way that people were sharing and that was a way people wanted to use social media, even in a professional context. So we ship multiple photos, we ship better options to in messaging to share your location so you can meet up with someone, right? Because you might connect with someone on LinkedIn at a conference and then you say, hey, do you want to meet up to discuss this business opportunity? Where? And then after you could send a location to them. So how could we take this desire that folks had to connect and really reduce the friction and kind of update it and make it more relevant? And I think the, the core reason that I went from you know Facebook to LinkedIn was people already spent at that time about an hour a day on Facebook. And you know, the way to make Facebook bigger and more valuable was to get that from an hour a day to you know, an hour and a half a day or two hours a day. And I was less excited about that than saying if we could get people on LinkedIn for instead of, you know, maybe 15 minutes a week total, up to 20 or 30 minutes a week, and that's connecting them with jobs and opportunities we'd actually be creating a lot more economic opportunity for folks. And that would actually be a better thing to achieve than someone watching, uh, you know, one or two more videos on Facebook instead of YouTube. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm a huge LinkedIn fan and have been <laughs> from the beginning. I've been using it since 2003. And not to say I'm not an Instagram user, but I, I definitely use LinkedIn a lot more. So, but so you've been in the thick of customer engagement now, obviously with OneSignal for the last two years. Um, but just drawing on that experience at Facebook and LinkedIn, how did those organizations think about kind of the, I guess the, there's a two-pronged here, right message and right frequency? Yeah, so right message, I think you can really distill down to how relevant it is and how actionable it is. So if you're sending someone something that shows up on their on their screen, it's really on you to make that something that matters to them. And if we think about what matters in our lives, a phone call from you know your wife or your kids probably matters a lot. You definitely want to know about that. But a post from your friend, one of your best friends from high school saying that they're moving to the city that you live in is also really relevant. So if we know it's about a topic that you care about, if we know it's from someone uh, that you're uh, connected to in a, in a meaningful way, that's actually really relevant. And so I want that to show up prominently. And I don't just want to get one of those notifications a day. If I have three friends moving from you know, New York to San Francisco, and I live in San Francisco, and they're all really good friends, I'm very happy to get those three notifications a day because they're super relevant. They're super targeted. And they're actually going to lead me to do something in the world, to call my friend, to reach out to them, to tell them I have an extra room in my house if they need a place to crash. 
And so if you can get really relevant, really timely information to folks, that actually influences the frequency. You can actually increase the frequency if you have good stuff to show them. Conversely, we all know the really bad experience. <laughs> if an app starts spamming you with 10 promotions a day or news that's super irrelevant to you, and what do you do? Well, you know, for a while, you just ignore it. And then over time, you uninstall the app or you unsubscribe. And so we had a notion, both at Facebook and at LinkedIn, of kind of how relevant this notification was for a given person. And that then allows you to say, well, is that super important and should kind of override the, the general frequency cap that I would apply to how, how much I want to send to someone? And then from that, you could say, well, really close messages from really close connections, I'm going to let all those go through. And then beyond that, I'm going to show you maybe one or two uh, notifications from a group, maybe a day. And then I'm only going to show you like maybe one news update or something like that a day, because that's going to be more generic. You can get that from other sources. And I'm not really adding something incremental as Facebook or LinkedIn by sending that to you versus, you know, uh, someone like CNN or New York Times or Business Insider or something like that. Makes sense. And, and what are some of the lessons that came out of that? Like, or like specific antidotes that you apply now to your life or your like foundational principles? Yeah, I think the first is how powerful a good look at the data can be in understanding what people want. So as an example, there are folks, maybe you're one of them, Josh, who are really active on LinkedIn. And they want to know when someone in their network changes jobs, right? They may be hiring, they may be super connectors. And so, you know, they really want to stay in the, in the flow of information. There's a lot of folks who love news and are the same way. And what you can do is actually model at a user level, this is kind of how it's done at Facebook and LinkedIn, you build a model that says, well, if you know Josh has clicked on nine of the 10 notifications I've sent him in the last day, he's probably really, really engaged. And if he's posting and if he's taking all these actions in my app, then even though that's a lot of notifications compared to my whole user base, I could probably send an 11th notification if it was really timely and relevant. And so by understanding your users and understanding if you send 11 notifications to someone who hasn't come to your site in three months, they're probably just going to unsubscribe. And so you should sort of downshift them into kind of the right frequency for how they want to engage with your product. And the smarter companies do that because they realize that inundating someone with messages burns that channel. It means that they're going to uninstall, they're going to unsubscribe. And then even when you have that really relevant message, that great deal for you know, Black Friday, that friend that moves into town, you don't have that channel available to reach out to them. And so you want to be thoughtful about kind of the right frequency at which you engage with your end users. Yep. Okay. It's great. So uh, you sort of touched on a couple of points that I want to follow up on, but the biggest one is, you know, kind of data, right? Mm -hmm. Leveraging that information to understand what's happening within your product, within your user base, and then tailoring, you know, product roadmap or messaging decisions on that. You know, as you think about that from either past experience or even currently in the, in the one signal context, what are some good data points to help drive those decisions as people think about their own practice? Yeah. So we published a, a blog post with insights from 118 billion push notifications. I'm going to give it a, a plug, onesignal.com slash blog. 
And we actually go through and use the vast scale we have to give insights about what works and what doesn't. And so instead of kind of generic tips, we know that companies who are using segments on average get a 50% higher relative click-through rate. So said more simply, if you specify and customize what you're sending to folks based on what you know about them, you're going to have a lot better results than sort of blasting the same message to your whole user base. If you start actually substituting in instead of saying, hey, we have a sale today, and you instead use data tags and say, hey, Josh, we have a sale today on golf clubs. And I know that you've bought golf clubs from me before, and I know a little bit about you. Those notifications that pull in that personalized data get a 16% higher relative click-through rate. So by using segments, by using data tags, you're already getting more than a 50% increase than just putting something out there that's less relevant for folks. Another example that I think is really cool is A-B tests. So within one signal, we have this easy functionality to sort of try two variants of a message and we'll show you the statistics that come back from that. And folks who A-B test get on average a 10% higher click-through rate than folks who don't in relative terms. And, and that's really because we may view the world in a certain way. We may think that certain language is clearer than other language. But you know, if you have a user base that has a lot of non-native speakers, then maybe that really long word or that more complex way of explaining something doesn't land as well as a variant of that. Or maybe just the way that folks think about your product or would describe it in their own words is different than how you might. And A-B testing is a great way to figure that out. And in fact, this was A-B testing was a super common thing at Facebook and LinkedIn. Almost every feature that you would build, actually every feature I ever built, <laughs> was tested and was tested across all the downstream outcomes. So how did it affect click-through rate? How did it affect someone's likelihood to post? Even how did it affect revenue? And I will tell you, one of the harder conversations was trying to get a feature uh, shipped when we had an A-B test that showed it was going to cost us $10 million. But it did bring a level of rigor where I went and built some other features that would make us more than $10 million because I really wanted this thing to get out. And so you, know, you can do that at a big company, but you can also use that with you know, the OneSignal uh, tools that we provide to folks for free if they're on the smaller side and getting started. Yep. Well, that's great. I appreciate that. So one last kind of riff here, as you think about the vision of messaging and kind of where things are going, if you had to pontificate here, what would that look like? Yeah, I think there's a world where all the kind of irrelevant notifications, all the irrelevant emails over time are going to get flushed out of the system. And you see that where, you know, there's anti-spam stuff and Gmail and other email clients you see with changes with some of the browsers to automatically mute or downweight notifications coming from sites that, that they view as spammy. And so to ensure that you're actually still able to get across to folks and in a way that resonates with them, you need to be more thoughtful and you need to be more relevant. And that means using the data you have, but it also means being sort of thoughtful. And I think this sometimes gets lost, right? What value are we providing to someone? Why does this matter to them? And if you can't answer that question, regardless of what the statistics are, 
over time, it's not going to work well. And so I think the thing that I would encourage folks to do is, you know, understand their users, understand their user journey, and reach out to them in ways that make sense at each step along the way. As an example, you know, we have a, a customer who uses notifications to draw people into the app. And then once they're there, it will actually show them an in-app message with a discount code. So you click the notification to understand what the discount is, what the opportunity looks like. And then you're presented with this much deeper experience because you've already shown you're interested. And then they measure that downstream and they say, how many people uh, redeemed this coupon? How much revenue did that generate? And they use that to fine tune the experience they're creating for folks. So I'm really excited about a world that I think, you know, we're creating at OneSignal where you'll be able to be notified on your smart TV if there's a show that's going to be really relevant for you that's coming on in five minutes. You'll be able to get notifications from your smart speaker if you know, you've engaged with that skill, where even on your way driving to a restaurant that you like, they'll be able to notify you maybe in your car instead of on your phone so you're not as distracted that there's a great special happening uh, tonight or that they're reopening you know, indoor seating or something like that. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, well, hey, I share that with you. And look, it's been awesome working with you the last couple of years. Uh, the energy experience you bring, the rigor you bring around data, keeping me honest uh, has been <laughs> awesome. So thank Likewise. you very much for joining the podcast. Thanks, Josh. Okay, please subscribe. Uh, if you love what you're listening to and enjoy this, please subscribe to the Once Ago podcast at your preferred podcast directory. Spotify, Apple, Google, TuneIn, Stitcher, and many others. Otherwise, have a great day. Bye-bye.